This is Using the Whole Whale, stories of data and technology in the social impact world. My name is George Weiner, your host and the chief whaler of wholewhale.com. Thanks for joining us. This week, we're speaking with the one and only Greg Thomas, formerly behind the scenes, helping us create the music and also supporting Whole Whale as a digital campaign strategist. Greg, how's it going? It's going great. How are you doing? I'm doing all right today because this is episode 99. We have a, an amazing guest, no spoilers, for number 100. Not, not to upstage you, though, Greg, because you are the most amazing guest that we have had so far, I'd say, in episode 99. Uh, Greg, we're talking about <laughs> we're talking about earworms for good. Those are their, like jingles and songs and theme songs and for for causes that matter. How um how do you come about music? Why have I brought you on today? So I do, like you said, I do digital campaigns for Whole Whale, but I spend the rest of my time um, working on music for commercials and for uh, short films, long films, kind of all over the place. So I've been making music for. Gosh, I've been making music for a long time, 20 years, something like that. And he's being uh, a bit modest. He uh, he actually helped out a little company called Starbucks at one point. Um, you may know them for their lattes. <laughs> That's right. I'm going to wander through some uh, earworms or for translation. You know, it's like a song or a tune that gets stuck in your head. Uh, and ironically, it probably means you don't like it. And uh, just know that I suffered to find these. And uh, I apologize in advance. So I want to start from the very beginning, like jingles begin, 1920s, radio comes uh, comes of age. We're listening at home, and radio commercials are terrible. Uh, and one of the very first, if not the first, uh, was a short jingle selling some cereal. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play that now. Have you tried Wheaties? They're whole wheat with all of the Okay, very clearly, uh, you know what? It's it's a four-part harmony there, and they're celebrating uh, Wheaties, uh, which aired on Christmas Eve, actually, and it features uh, these singers uh, who encourage us to, to eat Wheaties. Uh, not exactly cause-related, but I just wanted to set the stage for, for what we're looking at. Uh, Greg, are there any modern-day... Uh, you know, jingles or theme songs that are like still going back to the old school choruses of harmonies. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think you hear you hear a couple types of uh, jingles now. You hear kind of like the short, just the brand nod, kind of like the Sweeties one. And then the other one that you hear is a little bit the longer the theme song, which is something that I think we're going to hear a little bit more later in the podcast, and probably something that you're that everybody is more familiar with nowadays. Cool. So as we play our game, the next clip is a bit more non-profity focused, educational even. Uh, and in this game, see how long it takes you to get this one. Whew. You sure got to climb a lot of steps to get to this Capitol building here in Washington. Well, I wonder who that sad little scrap of paper is. I'm just a bill. Yes, I'm only a bill. 
And I'm sitting here on Capitol Hill. Well, it's a long, long All right, I'm Just a Bill. The classic 1976 Schoolhouse Rock segment featuring a song uh, of the same title written by Bob Duro. Uh, just, I think, one of those that sticks in our childhood memories of uh, understanding politics. Greg, do you have any uh, any memories of this or, or thoughts on the, the sort of educational, call it educational genre of having us uh, learn through through music? Yeah, I mean, I, I love this this song because I think it's it's such a hilarious combination of um, visuals from the animation for it. Um, it's just like the content that they decided to educate people about through song is just like it's so boring, right? But they did a really good job of taking something that would have traditionally been boring um, and something that probably more old people talk about than young people people talk about, and through using melody. Um, and rhyming were able to like make it something that really sticks in people's heads. So I think this is an, a really interesting example of how people used music to make something uninteresting interesting. And it's important to note now we're getting into the mixed media, right? This isn't just audio only. You can't see it. You can probably remember it, but it accompanies an animation. And so as we combine those, we talk about a very powerful uh, education tool, which is a decent segue into our next one and you should be able to get this one pretty quickly if you're playing at home because it's quite directional apologize in advance because that's going to be stuck in your head for a little bit. Uh, can you tell me how to get how to get to Sesame Street? Uh, this is the oldest song in Sesame Street's history, dating back to the show's very beginning on November 10th, 1969. Uh, the theme song was actually composed by a fellow named Joe Raposo, a writer-composer of many shows' songs. The opening riff is actually a variation on Good Vibrations uh, by the one and only Beach Boys. Uh, which had been released three years prior. Uh, Greg, what are what are your thoughts on you know as we move into this genre of you know theme songs? Yeah, well, the first thing about this, you kind of pointed it out by mentioning the Beach Boys, but it's super relevant to the time. So it's um, you know taking a sound that was super successful and then turning it into um, something that would be memorable for that brand. So I think that that's really interesting, and they did an awesome job of that. Um, the other thing too is I feel like this. Sesame Street is so um, it's so attached to its theme song. Um, it's kind of like Fresh Prince of Bel Air and the, and that theme song too. Like you really just can't think about one without thinking about the other. Um, and so I I think that this it's a great song. The melody is awesome, um, but I think it just did a really good job of setting the stage for what to expect from that brand once you get into um, consuming their content. Uh, and it's it's the kind of song that. Uh, it, li it lives on beyond the show. It's just a great song. Yeah, and for those of you wondering, wait a minute, nonprofit? Yes, sesameworkshop.org. Uh, Sesame Workshop is a nonprofit educational organization behind Sesame Street, and their mission actually is to help kids grow smarter, stronger, and kinder. 
great use of theme song. I want to switch gears though and see if you can get our next one. It's created around the holidays. You probably have had it stuck in your head at some point. So here we go. Let's see how you do. Answer is do they know it's Christmas? You know what? This sold more than six million copies in the U.S. and the U.K. Uh, it was a song written in 1984 by uh, Bob Geldof and uh, Midge Er in reaction to television reports of the 1983 famine in Ethiopia. It was recorded in a single day on November 25, 1984, uh, by Band Aid, uh, the supergroup put together by Geldof, and it you know consisted mainly of British and, and Irish musical acts at the time. It was remarkably successful. It was obviously like this first sort of coming together of major artists to promote a cause. And, you know, the the UK singles chart, it hit at number one and stayed there for five weeks, uh, becoming a Christmas number one and easily a very strong earworm. Greg, what are your what are your thoughts on the uh, on this approach of like pulling together the pulling together the band? Yeah, I mean, I think this, like, this to me is, um, there's a couple elements to this. This song drives me crazy. I'm just going to say it, and it's probably not going to be popular. I can't stand this song. I can't stand a lot of stuff about it. But, like, it did a lot of good, and a lot of people love it. And so, you know, that there's there are incredibly popular songs that don't resonate with me, um, but that's just, that's how music works. But um, what I will say about this song is they did a really good job of one, it, like they, it turned into a Christmas song. It was the lyrics are about Christmas. They released it at the right time. So it kind of lives beyond just the cause that they're promoting. Um, and the other thing, too, is when you bring together like a super group of popular artists, you're using those artists as a marketing engine as well. So it's just a really smart marketing strategy. And it's hard not to put something into the top of the charts um, when you do have well-known acts that are contributing to it because people are anticipating, um, you know, the success of the song based off of the artists. So not to be outdone, the U.S. of A. comes up with something similar also to help Africa. Let's see, uh, let's see if you can pick this one up. I love that part. We are the world. I won't I won't continue it, but that is definitely stuck in your head and, and for good reason. The idea for the creation of the American Benefit single for African Famine Relief came from the activist Harry Belafonte, who, uh, along with fundraiser Ken Cragen, uh, was instrumental in bringing this vision to life. You know, this is a, another charity single originally recorded by a you know, super group uh, of United Support of Artists USA for Africa in 1985, written by Michael Jackson, Lionel Richie, and arrangements by John Barnes, and produced by Quincy Jones. And it just, it crushed it. <laughs> Sales of an excess of 20 million <laughs> copies. 20 million. And that was before people could just download it on LimeWire. It is one of the fewer than uh, 30 all-time physical singles to have sold at least 10 million copies worldwide. I don't know, Greg, what are your what are your thoughts on this one? 
Yeah, I mean, this song has, uh, it's just super catchy. So that's one thing, and that, that's going to help its case. It has Michael Jackson, Lionel Richie, and Quincy Jones involved in it. So it's how do you not be successful, especially during that time when Michael Jackson and Lionel Richie were incredibly relevant. Um, the other thing, too, just to point out about this and like this strategy overall of using this music is it's a really fun way for people that are hearing about this issue to take action on it, right? Like people are already getting out there and buying music. People already love artists like Michael Jackson and Lionel Richie. They're excited to hear what they do next. And they're like, great, I can go buy this single and and help with this, um, you know, address this terrible issue that's going on. Um, so it's a really smart way to kind of turn a donation um, from an artist into a donation from consumers. Uh, and I just love that strategy. But I think overall, I mean, this song is great. And it was released at a time when people were still buying music. And so that, that really gave it uh, a huge leg up. Yeah. And, you know, maybe it's unfair as we're trying to give ideas to our listeners running nonprofits to be like, yeah, sure. Great idea, dude. Just get Michael Jackson to write a hit single and sell right. 10 million. <laughs> right? like, so let's dial it back to something more accessible. Following is a clip, and I think you're going to be able to put it together pretty quickly of, of what I'm going with with this sound. Up. You want it to be down at all times. Mm -hmm. So the trick is to go from 3 o'clock to 9 o'clock. Oh, my goodness. With your ring. Three. Oh, this is involving math. I might fail. No, no, just the <laughs> clock. Kidding, just I'm time kidding. telling. That's Three. <laughs> so it looks like you're going 3 to 6, though. Probably okay. seven, but you don't want to get up by 10, 11, 12, 1, 2 o'clock, or the gravity takes that bell down. Oh, just a little flip. Yeah, look at that. See, he goes up top Got there. It. Wow. In staying with the Christmas theme, the Salvation Army bell ringers in this clip, you know, we have um, a recording from NBC 24, WNWO 2011 broadcast with Captain Steve Lopes, who literally explains the technical nature of ringing the Salvation Army bell. The interesting thing about this is uh, it dates way back, December 1891, Captain Joseph McPhee of the Salvation Army in San Francisco, California, which, by the way, where I'm recording, was stumped. He was trying to provide a Christmas dinner for a thousand people, then had no idea, then came up with this. He thought back to when he was a sailor in Liverpool uh, on the docks of the city's wharfs, remembered seeing a large pot into which charitable donations could be thrown. The next day, he secured permission to place a brass urn on the Oakland Ferry Landing Beside the pot, he placed a sign, keep the pot boiling, and the bells kept ringing from there, growing with their with their red kettle campaigns and the ringing of these bells. It's epic, dude. How do they own the sound of a bell, Greg? Well, I mean, I think they just created this, like, early brand connection with the sound of the bell that's just, it's part of, it's baked into their brand. They're known for that. And they've, you know, if they started it in 1891, they've had years and years to condition people to associate them with that. And it's really funny how it's it's so, um, like, almost literally Pavlovian, the way that they've put it together. You hear a bell ring and you're like, where do I drop my change? Um, so I think that they just made it. It's just a smart brand connection. It's kind of like the color red in Coca-Cola or the color purple in Prince. Um, they've been able to just create this strong brand association. You can't really pull that brand away from, from that sound. Totally. And, you know, like one thing to emphasize here is consistency. That mm -hmm. is what made this, right? They didn't change it every year to saying, all right, now let's use a whistle. Let's use a kazoo. 
it's important that when you're going to commit to the audio strategy, the branding strategy, that you stay with it. And, you know, over time you get there. So, like, look, if you want to double down on the Vuvuzela, like, God bless you, but you stay with it. Right. Time to feed the whales with a quick word from our sponsor, Whole Whale. Lighthouse by Whole Whale is a brand new Google Analytics add-on that lets you see what each of your email subscribers are doing on your website. Lighthouse links your email CRM with Google Analytics to connect the dots in your data. Give your supporters what they need by getting to know exactly what they're looking for. This easy and affordable tool shines light on what content, what pages, what paths, and what clicks they may have explored in the past two years. Learn more at getlighthouse.io. That's getlighthouse.io. And now back to our show. All right, our next one, Greg, is uh, is one I'm going to frankly apologize for, slash sorry I'm not sorry, because you're going to pick it up pretty quickly. Uh, here we go. Just got stuck in your head for the rest of the day. Uh, look, it's a it's a nonprofit theme song that needs no introduction, but this is the uh, Cars for Kids, the car donation program, uh, which funds educational initiatives for children. Look, <laughs> you know what's funny about this? The organization themselves admits that this song is terrible. Uh, they literally field like half of their social media, and this is coming from uh, literally from an, from their communications uh, department. People post comments like, your commercials are the most annoying ever, please stop. Or words can't describe how much I loathe your advertisement. Uh, and by their own testament, they say that those are polite compared to to some. Uh, look, the the funny thing about this is that, believe it or not, a professional company did not come up with this. It was actually created in 2004. It was created in 2004. His goal was just to be catchy, but it was created by a volunteer. They didn't end up really paying or licensing for it. Uh, and now it's being played like in 14 markets nationwide on about 50 stations, daily reach, somewhere in the neighborhood, daily reach in the neighborhood of 50 million listeners. Now, to your question of like, yeah, but you're just annoying 50 million listeners. In November 2014, they put their jingle on television in New York. By the end of the year, website visits were up about 70%, and more importantly, donations increased by almost 55%. Look, this is a results-driven league, and I got to tell you, the ROI on this is stupid. Now, Greg... How much does this offend you? Oh my God, so much to unpack here, so much. I mean, it doesn't offend me because it's doing its job, right? It's a jingle, it's uh, a song written to try to raise awareness about this organization and the cause, and it does a good job. Um, I think there's a, few, there's a few thoughts that I have on this. One is like, if you think about the jingle, it's super smart. You have you basically understand what the organization does in the organization name, Cars for Kids. In the jingle, you've also got a phone number to call if you want to get a hold of them, and it's incredibly easy to search. Um, so you basically like have everything that you need to remember this organization in like you know six syllables or whatever it ends up being. Um, so I think that that's incredibly smart, and they were smart when they chose their name. Um, it's just, it's a good melody. It's catchy. It's yeah, it's super annoying, but like, I remember growing up and we had this, 
uh, local car commercial that had the worst commercial ever. But I guarantee that every single person that grew up in my neighborhood knows that that dealership. And when they thought about, hey, I might need to go buy a new car, they probably thought about that dealership first. So, you know, it does its job. It's creating awareness around the organization. People might not have known what the organization did before they heard that jingle or that any or that, that any organization existed that did what they do. Um, and now whenever they're like, hey, I've got to, you know, get rid of an old car. Um, what should I do with it? This might be the first thing that pops in their mind. Um, so, I mean, it's if it's annoying, it kind of doesn't matter as long as it's effective and if it's if it's. Uh, you know, pushing the organization towards their goals. Yeah, the funny thing also, getting back to the earworm, getting back to the, the value of audio branding, is that once you get stuck in someone's head and they're singing it, you're generating a couple things. One is mental availability, and we talk about it uh, in podcast after podcast, you know, coming from the How Brands Grow book, the mental availability, which says, like, once you get those, like, seven-plus impressions over a shorter period of time, uh, it is easier for people to think about you when it matters, right? In those moments where, hey, I've got a car. Hey, I'm looking for a great organization that supports X. You want to be in that brain space when that happens. And two, two is what happens when someone's like singing your jingle and your song again and again, and you're just created a walking advertisement. Someone that's going to to share and have a conversation. Oh my God, I heard that, 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 that jingle again. Uh, and I think it's actually kind of crazy. I don't know your thoughts, Greg. I think it's crazy that like when I was looking around and doing the research for this podcast, like that... I didn't find anything else uh, akin to cars for kids. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think your points are are right on. I mean, the there are so many brands that are iconic because of their theme song, Oscar Mayer, um, Toys R Us, even though you know I know that they're now defunct, but um, but it like it really creates like a culture around the brand, and it creates um, it just it, it kind of like solidifies them. Um, in everybody's mind. And so I just think that like in general, it's an incredibly valuable thing to have. But like you said, there aren't a lot of nonprofits that do it. And I think, I mean, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, but I think one of the reasons is because I, I don't know in my experience what, how many brands are, are, or how many nonprofits are putting that much time into their actual branding. Like companies like, you know, Coca-Cola, um, can spend millions upon millions of dollars on their branding because they have the capital to do it. And because they, they have measurement techniques to really, really understand what that does, you know, with pushing people down the funnel. But a lot of nonprofits, if they've got money to spend, they're going to most likely spend it on things that are going to get them that are closer towards the, the end of the conversion funnel. So they're going to put money towards maybe ads that are going to be last click ads before they get a donation. Um, it's really hard to justify putting any cash that you have into something that's super top of the funnel and just building awareness. And the measurement method for that is literally like brand recall and awareness of your organization. There's two things here, cost and uh, priority. So yeah. we, we pay for priority. We allocate the, the time, time materials cost toward what matters. And to that end, I would argue nonprofits do you know, spend a good amount of money on websites. They spend a good amount of money mm -hmm. on the logo redesign, on the colors, the fonts that they use. It's, you know, crazy to think that your organization doesn't have strong branding out 
and absent of those conversations is audio. You have these like chicken dinners that you put together and you have the video that plays with your stakeholders running around doing stuff. And we all go back to the same freaking Coldplay album. We put other people's music on our work. We don't reinforce and take the opportunity to reinforce an asset that we own. It would be as though on your website you're just like, nah, I'll just use the uh, the WordPress template uh, that everyone else uses and then we'll put our cool content inside of it. It's like there's a dark spot in our uh, awareness that this is an entire vertical left unbranded. Am I am I crazy here? What what, like, what am I missing? No, I don't. I don't think you're crazy at all. I think you're right. Well, not on. for not for those reasons. Right, not for those reasons. There's plenty of other reasons why. There we go. There we go. Um, yeah, I mean, I just I think it's a little bit disconnected for a lot of organizations from um, you know when they're putting together their package of their brand and where they are. Um, I, I don't think it's one of those things that like comes to mind first. Um, and like you said, you know, using that same Coldplay song, you know, people use the WordPress template that looks good or that other people use because it's proven to, to do well. You use the Coldplay song because you know it has mass appeal and because it's kind of easy when you've got a million other decisions to make. Um, but that being said, you know, there comes a time when you're creating your website where you're like, okay, really, who are we? Um, and we're going to put some time into our website redesign and we're going to put some time and really, really letting consumers know and letting our constituents know um, what our brand stands for. And I think that's when, you know, organizations could be moving further down from that, that licensing mindset to the, you know, let's use the audio as another opportunity to, uh, to really solidify our brand. And I mean, in those organizations like Cars for Kids that kind of just like went for it, but that's like, just, it was a necessity. You know, they probably had some available airtime. You know, there might've been some donated media and they're like, okay, we've got some media. Let's create a quick jingle and just like put it out there and see how it does. And then, um, and we'll go from there. And they, maybe that was the case, you know, and, and the kind of like necessity sometimes um, is the thing that creates opportunity for you. Necessity, the mother of invention. I love it. So, Greg, you are a professional, uh, a professional musician, are you not? Sure. Let's I'll take it done. Well, you technically get paid money to write music. So that makes That's you a true. professional. Um, That's true. So by definition standards. I want to talk a little bit about some of the elements that, you know, let's say we want to throw dollars and time and attention at this. Uh, what are the elements of, let's say, that type of jingle that we could reuse uh, versus background music, which I think is a different category. But I want to stay on like the sort of jingle that we could potentially use on the intro outro of our YouTube videos, or if we had a podcast, or like you said, we had the opportunity to be featured uh, on you know some donated media. Uh, what are the elements of of a jingle that we're looking for? Right, that's a good question. Um, you know, and I think just to kind of restate what you had said there, you know, the point to me that the, the background music is something that kind of elevates the other elements and whatever that content is that you're creating. The jingle is branding, you know, the jingle is part of your brand. Um, and so you're using the jingle at any, any point where your branding needs to be established. That's why it's at the beginning of your podcast or the jingle is, um, you know, helping to elevate the branding in a commercial. Um, the elements of a good jingle, um, I would say are, I would say three to four things. Um, the first thing that is absolutely key is the melody of the jingle. The thing that you whistle or that you hum in the shower after you hear the jingle multiple times, that's the, the big thing that carries it. And that's true of pretty much any song. 
you know, the melody is going to be the thing that people are whistling on the subway. Um, the second thing is that uh, it has, it explains what your brand is in some way in the lyrics of the jingle, right? So um, if the jingle has lyrics, it's going to talk about your brand, what you are, what you stand for, or, you know, create some sort of connection between you and the constituents that you want to reach. Um, I mean, Toys R Us, again, this is not a nonprofit, but to the Toys R Us jingle is so great because it's, it's basically establishing this mindset for kids and for their parents. Um, so it's really setting up what the brand is all about in the lyrics as well as the melody. Um, and then the third thing that I would say is just, and this is kind of a little bit more arbitrary, but it has to be memorable. You know, Cars for Kids is, is memorable because of the, I think the combination of the melody and the repetition. Um, I think the Sesame Street tune is memorable because it's just such a great, it's a great tune and the lyrics really set up the space that you're about to go into as a, as a viewer. Um, and so it has to be something that's memorable. And that's kind of why people do choose songs like Coldplay and all the other popular songs, because they are memorable and they connect you to a time and place. Um, so it has to, you know, it can't just be a throwaway song. It has to be something that, um, that people do walk down the street and hum by accident, not even knowing it. Yeah. And in terms of the background uh, music, I will say that we do use your music pretty regularly and absurdly often to reinforce the the, the iconic, what I'll call, Greg Thomas whistle. Uh, but uh, we, we don't necessarily have a jingle. Uh, no. For people being like, all right, look, great ideas, but who has the money? Talk to me, talk to me about how much it would cost. Like, let's, I'm going to put you on the spot. Let's say, um, you know, someone wanted to license, you know, your... Uh, you're whistling or say, hey, I want you to, to do a whistle song for, for all of our background, something that has emotional lift that we can carry behind our, uh, you know, our videos and whatnot. What, what are the numbers I'm looking at, Greg? Right. That's, so that's a little bit hard to answer only because um, <laughs> I'm putting on my, my licensing business person hat because license, the license terms, um, where, where the license is going to be used. So if it's going to be used you know, just on your YouTube page, um, versus being used in broadcast, there's going to be a different fee for that. And so there's a whole licensing structure and there's plenty of websites that um, can give you an idea of the range of the licensing fee based on the usage. Um, but that being said, uh, you know, I can give you an idea of the creation of a jingle. Um, you know, you can pay somebody, uh, you can even get a student who's um, in school for music composition. You can pay them a few hundred bucks um, and ask them, and be like, hey, listen, write a song in a day for me, um, produce it and send me a demo. And you could probably get something pretty great in a day. Um, so, I mean, I think your initial cost of just creation of the jingle can be fairly low. Um, and then it just kind of depends on where you're using the license and uh, what the terms are that you know are created around that. Gotcha. So that's, that's for a jingle. Uh, is there like a website I can go to like find freelancers That'll create music for me. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different uh, websites that already license pre-created music. So oh, I don't want the pre-created. I'm so tired of someone using like GarageBand number seven, <laughs> you know, guitar and background. Like, I want something like that tight, that's tidy. And if I'm using a background music, I want it to be related to my jingle. I want it to tie together. Or am I thinking about this wrong? 
No, no, no. You're thinking about it right. What I was going to say is that I would go to a, one of the licensing sites and find a composer that you really love. Um, so one site that I um, license a lot of my music through is called Musicbed. It's musicbed.com. And um, what a lot of people end up doing is they find a great composer they like on that, and they reach out to them directly and say, hey, I love your style. Um, can you help me create a jingle for for my brand. Um, and then it's a conversation from there. You know, a good composer will talk to you and really understand what the brand's all about. Um, and they'll include that in the instrumentation that they're putting together and, um, and so on. And so that's one way to do it. Um, another way to do it, this is a little bit more expensive way, I'll say, but um, finding an indie, an indie band or even a popular band that you really love and having them create a jingle. Um, one great example of that is uh, They Might Be Giants. They did the they did the intro song for Malcolm in the Middle. I'm pretty sure, um, and so that was like they went directly to that band and were like, "Hey, create a, create the intro for this show." Um, and other bands have been used. Other like famous composers have been used to create jingles for um, other brands and nonprofits in the past as well. And so I think it's really about finding somebody that you like um, and really taking the time to go through the different indie artists and composers that you can find online, and then reaching out to them directly. Gotcha. So I'm uh, I'm starting to to get excited by my own my own comments here, and I feel like whole whale needs a jingle. So Greg, what what can I expect to pay for for something like that? Well, that you're putting me on the spot because you know who's going to have to make that jingle. <laughs> this makes for a good podcast, man. Uh, it's true. I don't know. I mean, I feel like you could do it for a few hundred bucks. I'll say that it's under a thousand. Under that's a thousand. for sure. So yeah. I want to come back to your whole point about like, oh, nonprofits don't have the money. Stop it, Greg. I've seen advertisement budgets being just like sprayed away on Facebook that are dwarfing that. Uh, costs for logo redesigns and like round number 17. Right. Uh, look, this is an opportunity. I think it's a massive opportunity. And I think only one nonprofit, frankly, is really uh, taking advantage of it. So uh, Greg, I'm going to move into the lightning round, uh, but before I do, what is your, your sort of closing statement on convincing the listener right now who's like, Jesus, I have to think about uh, audio now? Well, I think it's like anything else. You know, I think there are so many opportunities for nonprofits to try something new and to see if it works. Um, and so this is just another thing. If you haven't put time into trying to create a jingle for your brand, um, for your nonprofit, then, um, I mean, it's probably a relatively low investment. Find a student that's learning composition. Find somebody that's a friend of a friend of the organization and see if they'll help you out and throw them a few bucks. Um, and try it and run it once, um, you know, on a low-risk platform and see how it does. It's just like anything else. You know, you got to test it um, and see if it's worth investing more money in. All righty. With that, we're moving into the lightning round. Greg, are you ready? I am ready. All right, first question. Uh, what is a mistake you made earlier in your career that now defines how you do your work? Oh, that is a good question. Um, I think a mistake that I made early in my career was probably not preparing enough for meetings right off the bat. Um, and now I am really, uh, I'm really focused on preparation. Um, and I know that's like a super boring answer, but I think, uh, you know, if you prepare for meetings with clients and internal, uh, internal folks as well, um, it just helps make sure that you've, you're eliminating any waste before you get into that meeting. Uh, and so I think it just made me so much more efficient. And, man, I wish I was way more efficient in the beginning of my career. 
if you could jump into the hot tub time machine and go back to, let's say, the, the first day, week you started your job at dosomething.org, what would you tell yourself? I would tell myself to sit across from the CEO of the organization. Um, I did that later in my career, and it was just like the greatest learning experience. So, uh, you know, to anybody listening who um, isn't at the CEO level yet, uh, just put yourself in the room, put yourself in situations with um, people that are high up in the organization, learn from them, and also show them that you're, you know, you're willing to work hard and that you've got good ideas. Greg, what is a tool that you've started using this year that has you really excited? I am super into, I didn't start using it this year, but I'm using it way more this year, uh, Tag Manager. I know that we probably talk about Tag Manager all the time. I know we talk about it in this podcast a lot, um, but it's just such an awesome tool. And just talking about efficiency just eliminates so many roadblocks um, for being able to track things um, and push code into sites. And so I, as somebody who's a digital marketer, I absolutely love Tag Manager and the freedom that it gives me to, uh, to better understand how my campaigns are doing. Greg, what is something you think whole whale should stop doing? <laughs> I think all organizations should stop having meetings. No, that's not true. Um, you know, that is a really tough question to answer because you're right here on the phone with me, so as well as pressure. <laughs> I think Hoel should start thinking even more about branding. You know, I, I think that you get to a point as an organization where you kind of, you've done all of your like low level conversion optimization and it's like, okay, how do we really like make sure every single person in the world knows about Hoel? As a big fan of Hoel working here, I love the idea of like, let's create a jingle. Let's like build we're out the brand of Hoel. This is where it happened. This is yeah. when people ask, why do you have such an annoying jingle? I'm going to point them to episode 99. Greg, if you had a magic wand to wave across the nonprofit industry, what would it do? I think it would make the nonprofit industry realize that sometimes um, spending money is not the worst thing in the world. I've seen a lot of nonprofits that are just afraid of spending any money at all. And I know that there are always budget restrictions. Um, but there is, after, you know, getting things for free for a long time, um, if you've got a lot of donated media or donated marketing or donated time from people, um, and then you move into starting to maybe paying for advertising or paying more to bring in, um, some employees from the for-profit world who have got a lot of experience, you start to realize like, okay, there's, there are some things that are really worth investing money into. Um, and that kind of goes along with some of this branding and jingle talk that we've talked about as well. Final question, how do people find you? How do people help you? Well, you can find me uh, through Whole Whale. So as always, visit wholewhale.com. If you're interested in talking about music, um, you can go to gregthomasmusic.org Greg um, or just ask George. George always knows where I am. <laughs> and with that, Greg, thank you for taking the time. Uh, I'm excited about this. I think our listeners will be too. I appreciate your, your time and your whistling. Awesome. Thank you so much, George. This has been Using the Whole Whale, stories of data and technology in the social impact world. Resources, as always, may be found at wholewhale.com slash podcast. Thanks for joining us.